Welcome to our podcast, Transparently Speaking. I am Diana, and I have a son who transitioned at a young age to become his true self. And I am Joy. I have also supported my daughter to transition at an early age. We are here to share our experience and our learning along this journey. We want to provide support and guidance parent to parent. And if you find yourself on a similar journey, we want you to know that you are not alone. So let's dive in, transparently speaking. So Joy, today I thought we could talk a little bit about our experience going into healthcare offices, you know, whether it's the dentist or the physician, eye doctor, whatever it is, and telling them, having them use our child's name, especially when our children first transitioned, you know, we didn't do a legal name change right away and what that was like, how we did it, how we felt, because I know for me, it was probably really anxiety provoking before going, how would they respond? Would they be respectful? Would they understand? Would we get funny looks? Like what would happen? So I wonder what you remember about that with Samantha. Yeah, I do remember that being stressful amidst everything else that we were trying to navigate and trying to think about what do they need to know? How much information do I share? And I think what we've explored in some of our like parent group meetings is this conversation of sort of a worst case scenario where the office assistant in the front is calling a dead name to Mm -hmm. invite your child to the back for whatever activity to your point, whether it's a dentist or an orthodontist or a regular physician experience. Yeah. I know for us, I remember learning the ways sometimes we wouldn't think ahead of time of like, Oh yeah. They might use it in this scenario or in this place. And so when it would happen, I would see like Clark's body language just tense up. I think I would tense up too, because I'd be worried like who around us hears that and it discloses them. So I remember I got in the habit when we checked in, I would always say, hi, I have, and I would say Clark and our last name, which is not a common last name. So that helped. But I'd say, I have Clark, our last name, who has an appointment with so-and-so at this time. Because usually they're looking at the time and the provider. So I'd say that. And I say, you have his name under a different name, but we don't use that name. I would like you to use Clark. So again, it's Clark, last name, at this time with this provider. And that used to work for us. And then I would also say, could you make sure that whoever calls us back, please use the name Clark? I believe that worked. I don't remember it not working. Yeah, I remember in one instance where I was anxious about it and I called ahead of time to try to make a request. And I was probably in the midst of exploring how to handle like the pre-name change thing or maybe even post-name change, but going through the process of, oh gosh, how do I now get records updated and who needs to know this? And it just feeling like a lot and being anxious about, you know, trying to reduce a negative experience for my child. Right. I know. And that you make such a good point. Like it's true. It's like we were wrapping our own brain around what was going on, but we had to put our best foot forward of, I don't know, no hesitation, matter of fact. I mean, that's always my strategy to be as matter of fact, but I didn't feel matter of fact at the time. Uh, I do remember the dentist's office. I did call ahead 
and said, here's what's going on. Because he had been going to that dentist's office. My transition, here's what's going on. This is the name. These are the pronouns. Are you going to be able to do that? Mm-hmm. And luckily they said, no. Luckily they said, yeah, that's great. I remember too, there was another individual in our support group that had a written mm-hmm. document to support their child. I'm remembering it's very similar, Diana, to what you just expressed verbally. You know, there was a little sheet of paper, but it actually came out and said, my child is transgender or exploring his or her gender identity. We appreciate your support. Please use this name to refer to my child when you call them for their appointment. Right. Because they were trying to prevent other people from hearing the conversation. So they found a small card. I think they did have the dead name just so that they could match up. And I thought that was a really great technique too. Yeah. I even called (laughs) patient services one time when we were struggling with this. So now I think about it, I do think there were times that they would not use his name, that they would use the dead name to call him back. And I think after so many times, I think between that and the mail, so without a legal name change, the mail comes in the dead name. And so I called patient relations. I said, hi, here's the situation. My child doesn't go by that name and you give it. And I'm really concerned about HIPAA because I haven't given permission for you to disclose his gender identity. And every time you use his birth name, you're disclosing his gender identity. And the person was very nice. They were like, oh, you know what? I think it would be best if you talk to legal. Which I did. And I became friends with legal and we had conversations about like, (laughs) what can you do about this? But I do think, you know, like, well, the legal names don't change. We can't change. But I do think I did put, um, I accelerated some training in that because I think they saw that I did have a point. They were disclosing something that we hadn't given permission for. Obviously it's arguable, but any attorney knows all you have to do is have more convincing argument. And I'm pretty convincing, or at least I was. So I do remember that. To me, it feels like as soon as you bring up a reflection on a legal precedent or a requirement for HIPAA privacy, that it raises the stakes, right? In terms of saying, hey, I have rights here and I feel like my rights are not being met. Absolutely. And I don't think they were set out to not follow rights. I just think they hadn't thought of it in that way. And I just presented them a different way to think about. Yeah. Which I think is insightful and hopefully was helpful to the entire organization as they (laughs) were preparing. Because as we've talked about, this for us was probably several years ago already. And at this point, hopefully a lot of our listeners don't have this experience or wouldn't, but I would be surprised if right. there aren't listeners who are experiencing this, whether it's because they're in smaller communities that haven't yet had patients experiencing this or haven't had request to meet these needs yet. Mm-hmm. The training. But I remember, I remember it being so painful to get the mail on the dead name. I remember every time I got a piece of mail, and I think that's what inspired that phone call. Every time I got a piece of mail with the dead name, just hurt. And I remember like having the conversation with the lawyer about it. I'm like, you're disclosing to my mail carrier. <laughs> and she was like, well, we can't. This way it's set in the computer. And I told her, I said, I am not a computer person, but I know that it's just a coding issue. 
this happens a lot. I think schools, healthcare, it's like, well, it's the computer system. We can't change it. It's like, no, you need to go back to whoever created that system and ask them to code it differently. Because what you do is you put a code in and you say, when you print out an address label, it codes, use this box and this box to put here. So you just have to change what box for the first name that you're telling the computer to print out a label. I was not successful in that argument. (laughs) Well, I think I have done some work in IT in the past, and I know that unfortunately things can be way more complicated than we want to believe that they are. I'm curious for us to explore for our listeners a little bit about as healthcare engages with patients, all this data that they do collect in terms of how gender and sex shows up or why it's even relevant. So we're talking right now initially about how they communicate with patients, which is absolutely essential to ensuring good positive care for their patients. And we've had the conversation about how they present information again, kind of externally, but also internally, and what is that actually supporting? So I think I had shared with you that after Samantha had this terrible appendectomy situation, her appendix had ruptured in this place while we were on vacation, and I went through the process of ensuring providers understood what our scenario was. In this case, we already had a legal name change, so that wasn't the issue, but I was more concerned. As far as I knew, we were in potentially life-threatening situation and wanted to ensure they understood the context around her care in such a way that there would be no surprises or situation like that. When we came back home to have the final appendectomy and she went in for surgery on her wristband, it actually said... I'd have to look again, but I think it's a gender male. And I remember being really upset about that because we'd already gone through the process of making sure that things were already captured in such a way. And I think it's interesting and it just reflects again, challenges about the way systems capture the data and the information. And even recently I was looking, we use a tool called MyChart. Some of our listeners may also have this tool. I think it is related to the Epic system, I believe. And right now they capture legal sex, gender identity, and sex assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is apparently I haven't gone through all the right paperwork because legal sex, even though we've gone through the name change and we've changed the gender marker on the passport, that legal sex is still incorrect in Samantha's records. And so I apparently have forgotten a loop there and wonder if that maybe was even the cause of that other hiccup we had upon that surgery situation. But I think it's interesting. They're capturing those three pieces of data, sex assigned at birth, gender identity, and legal sex. And I'm curious if you have insights around how does that support medical care? What is the insight or their perspective about why it's important to capture all three of those data pieces? Right. I will argue that none of it is necessary, but I am in the minority on that because the rationale, which (laughs) I have arguments for all of it, but the rationale was, well, we have to know the sex assigned at birth so that we know what we're dealing with anatomically. And my argument is that doesn't tell you that because what if someone's intersex? What if someone has had a testicle removed? What if... Like there's so many what ifs that actually happen that it doesn't actually tell you that. And I said, and if that were important, then when 
someone got a hysterectomy, then you would put that on there right next to the gender post hysterectomy. Like if your issue was really anatomy and healthcare workers truly believe this because the majority of the time it will be, the two will associate together. You'll probably have an idea, but it's not always true. The other part is like knowing that anatomy is important, but not in many cases, not in many emergency cases. There are cases where it is important to know, but in those cases, you're probably going to ask questions, right? And if the, you know, you can't ask questions to the person, then you do the best you can, right? But, or, you know, you look through the chart quickly and, and that's where it would be. So I don't really accept the argument, but I think they want to know the legal gender. So they know what to put for insurance or anything that requires a legal one. They want the gender identity to know how the person identifies. They want the sex assigned at birth to recognize if the person is transgender or not. And again, the assumption of anatomy. I think it's thought error, personally. Mm -hmm. And I know we've talked too about the challenge of insurance laying into this. And I think you had a story perhaps to, to share some insights for our listeners. Yeah, due to all my discomfort with the mail, Arthur and I would talk about it. And so we decided next open enrollment insurance, you can add people on, you can change names. We said, okay, we're going to change the name. That shouldn't be a problem because when we presented to the pediatricians with each child, we didn't have to show any documentation of their names. We just said, here's the name and they wrote it in and that was that. So we thought, no problem. We'll see the insurance has a different first name. You'll change it. Well, that's not what happened. We changed the insurance name. And then the first time, luckily, it was only one time we went to the doctor and the insurance said we'd deny paying this bill because the healthcare office would not change their name. And they said, we need legal documentation of name change, which we hadn't done yet. We said, but you know who this is. And they said, well, it's because someone tries to kidnap the child. We need legal documentation to show the name change. I said, you know, we're, we're both the parents. We are both here. And we're both saying change the name. So what is the risk of kidnapping? There's like, no, this is our protocol. We turn. So that inspired the legal name change. So until we could get the legal name change, which took us about six months before we had it done, I said, luckily there was one bill and the insurance denied it, which was also ridiculous because it was the same social security number, same last name, same date of birth, had been on our insurance. The only thing that changed was the first name, but they're like, nope, not the same first name. We won't pay it. So we had to pay in full one medical bill and creep our fingers crossed that he didn't have to go back until we could legally change the name, which is a cost in itself. I mean, the amount of privilege we had dealing with that situation, we are very fortunate. Mm -hmm. And that's so stressful. And just super stressful. Yeah. And I felt angry too. Because it felt unfair. Like I understood why their systems were in place, like to prevent kidnapping, but it just seems so unfair. Mm -hmm. I think definitely with the medical records of change, I mean, the fact that they put now sex assigned to birth and gender identity is actually a really good step in the right direction, even if we can argue they don't really need it. And I think they're starting to make way for non binary individuals too. Although I think many healthcare systems, if they include another option or multiple options to identify oneself. Not everyone does. And they don't always get the language right. Because I remember 
one time I was in a support group for adult transgender individuals and they were saying how they were so upset at the, and this was quite a few years ago, but at the hospital, it was male, female, or other, or I think one was unspecified and they didn't appreciate being referred to <laughs> as unspecified or other. But I think it's starting to get there. And I just wish they would just make it blank. I know there's less response when you make it blank rather than click, but make it blank then people can put, because there are so many terms, the term that fits for them. Mm -hmm. But there's been great changes in the nine years. There have been changes mm -hmm. in the right, right direction with a lot more room to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm grateful that there have been changes. I'm hoping our listeners are having less negative experiences than perhaps we experienced years ago going through this process. Has there been anything else with Dinah? Yeah, that's a good question. He doesn't have a legal name change. And I used to do, I felt less tense, but I used to do a similar thing as far as check-in and say, please call. And one time they're like, oh, we have a space here to put in the name that they want to be called. And so they put Dinah in. That was great. But then the problem became sometimes I'd go and I'd say Dinah and they'd find it. And other times they'd be like, who? And so then I'd have to give the birth name and then they'd find it. But it was really unclear to me when I'm supposed to give one versus the other. And I asked one time and she said, oh, either name you give, both show up. And I, was like, I, I just, I don't understand. But <laughs> <laughs> but at least there's that option. At least like that wasn't available nine years ago to be like, oh, we have a space here for the name you want to be called. And then we can just call it, the, everyone will know just to use that name. Mm -hmm. But that was pretty awesome. That is awesome. Yay, a win. Yes. So don't change the insurance name on open enrollment. <laughs> Have a legal name change or at least check that everything will, how that will work. That's one lesson. Two, don't forget that <laughs> misgendering can be a HIPAA violation. And not to say it in a threatening way, but just be like, hey, what do you think about this? And three, it's getting better. It's getting better. Yeah have a plan to go in and make the requests and, you know, be prepared that it may not be as easy as you want, but hopefully it is. Maybe it's going to be awesome. Absolutely. That's a wrap on this episode of Transparently Speaking. Thanks for joining us today. Join us again on the 1st and 15th of every month for our next podcast. Thank you to Filter for our awesome music. That's P-H-I-L-T-Y-R. Check them out at Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or anywhere you download music. As a reminder, we welcome your feedback and questions. Email us anytime at transparentlyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you're taking something away from our podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to provide us a review. The more listeners and reviews, the more people we can reach and support. Thanks in advance. Cheers from Joy and Diana. Mm -hmm.